I were told you that you were going to have an opportunity to talk with Jesus Christ face-to-face and in-person for 15 minutes this afternoon, and you could make one request of him, ask him about one thing, what would your question be? What would be your request? If you could ask him anything, would you ask for protection? Would you ask him a new, for a new job? Would you ask him about money? Would you ask him about relationship? Would you ask him a question like, hey, did Adam have a navel? Um, would you waste your 15 minutes on stupid things like that? What, what would you do? What would you ask for? Well, the disciples got this opportunity at one point. Luke 11 tells us that they came to Jesus one day and they had a request. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, why of all the things they could have asked Jesus, why did they ask that question? And I think it was because that they saw the results of prayer in his life. They saw how powerful it is. They saw him pray and they saw what happened. It's interesting that the disciples, they watched Jesus do a lot of things. They watched Jesus preach the greatest sermons ever. Okay, they watched him do miracles. They watched him heal the sick, raise the dead, feed 5,000, all kinds of things. Still mother nature and the storm and everything, quiet it all. Never once did they say, Lord, teach us to preach. Teach us to do miracles. Lord, teach us to raise the dead. Lord, teach us how to control the weather. Instead, they said, teach us how to pray. They saw this, that it was the life support system of Jesus. And they recognized that was the key to his life. There's nothing more vital to your Christian life than prayer. We've been talking about circling things in prayer. And I just want to talk about prayer in general today and the ripple effect that it has There are a lot of faulty misconceptions about prayer, though. There's a lot of ignorance about how prayer works and why we pray and when to pray. Some people think that prayer is like a magic wand. We wave it at something and you get what you want, right? It's a superstitious approach. God is kind of like a genie in this thought. You rub the vase and out comes God and arms crossed says, your wish is my command. No, that's not what prayer is. Some prayer think prayer is a first aid kit. It's an act of desperation to be used only in emergency, like like there's this little box on the wall with glass and say, in case of emergency, break the glass and say a prayer. It's a last resort. When things finally fall apart, then you say, oh man, I guess we better pray. For some people, prayer is like a tug of war a religious con game (laughs) that you play with God where you try to convince God to do something nice for you. The idea is that God's some cold-hearted monarch sitting a million miles in outer space and you have to urge him and beg him and plead him and convince him to do something good for you. It's like a sales pitch. You keep pestering God until God gets so irritated he finally says, okay, I'll give it to you. Just get off my porch. I think the worst misconception about prayer is none of those. It's this one. It's that prayer is simply a religious duty. The basic motivation behind it is guilt. 
I know I should pray more. I ought to pray. I got to pray. It's something I ought to do. It becomes a duty. You have a sense of obligation that if you don't pray, you're going to be on God's bad list. So you go through a meaningless ritual that becomes a rut. You learn memorized phrases. You get caught in religious cliches. You say the same thing over and over. It's totally meaningless to you, but you think you ought to do it. I just got to do it. And when you think of prayer, you think of one of two words, boring or drudgery. And you think, why do I have to pray? And it becomes something you endure rather than enjoy. If prayer is a duty for you, listen, friend, <laughs> brethren, brothers and sisters, if prayer is a duty for you, you've missed the total point of prayer. You don't understand prayer in the, in the slightest if it feels like a duty. It's no wonder you can't get motivated to pray. If you're going around thinking, well, I guess I should pray. Well, I guess I need to pray. Well, I better pray more. Today, I want to talk to you about the four purposes of prayer. John uh, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. And you can browse through there if you want to get a Bible out and, and uh, look at all those four chapters. But these are, this is a big, long four-chapter teaching of Jesus to his disciples. They're his last words to them, his last big class. It's the last discussion that he shared with the 12 before he was crucified on the cross. And he's telling them repeatedly, this is what's happening, guys. I'm going to go die. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be resurrected. And I'm going to go back to heaven. And I'm not going to be here physically, but I'm going to be here spiritually. And I'm going to put my spirit, my Holy Spirit, into you. And you can still talk to me. Even though I'm not here physically, you can still talk to me through prayer. And he gives us the four reasons for prayer. And so let me give these to you. Number one, prayer is an act of dedication. Dedication. It is an opportunity to express our devotion to God and our dependence on God. It is devoted dependence or dependent devotion. Okay, however you want to put it. It is an act of dedicating ourselves, saying, God, I need you. Our biggest problem in prayer is we don't feel a dependence upon God. We think we can do it ourselves. Ever since Adam and Eve, really, man has vastly overestimated his ability so we think, I don't need to pray because this is something I just do. I just handle it and, and I just do it and I don't need to pray about it. The biggest problem in prayer is admitting we need God's help. The reason why a lot of people don't pray is because it costs. It costs you two things. It costs you honesty and it costs you humility. Humility and honesty. You, you have to be honest to God and you have to be humble saying, I admit I am inadequate. I am helpless. I need your help in this situation. As long as you think you're self-sufficient and you got it kind of together or you don't really need to turn God to God for anything, prayer can have no meaning for you. You think you've got it all together. Prayer is an act of dedication to the one that we are devoted to and we are dependent upon. So look at John 15, 5. Jesus is giving this illustration of a plant. And it's a plant like a grapevine, Okay. And uh, I don't know, has anybody been seen a grapevine? You've ever been to a vineyard or 
lived in Napa Valley or anything like that? You've been to one? I haven't. So the closest thing I can relate to on this is like a watermelon vine, okay, or pumpkins. That I can relate to. I've grown a pumpkin or two. And um, so I'm going to put this in melon terms, all right? So Jesus says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear many melons, much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch on the melon vine that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. But if you remain in me, meaning if you be dependent upon me, express your trust in me, and my words remain in you, like, like the life-giving sap that comes from the vine, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Wow. Wow. Big promise. Ask whatever you wish. Phew. That sounds like we're back to the genie, right? Ask whatever you wish. Obviously, there's a contingency. There's a, there's a stipulation on that, you know. What is it? Dependent entirely upon him. Remaining in him. Completely tied in. Completely connected to the vine. It is like a blank check. He says, if you really put your dependence in me, you can ask whatever you will and I will give it. That is an unbelievable promise in prayer. It's, it's like the branch and the vine. The branch is connected to the vine or stem. And if you cut the branch off, it loses its strength and its power. No melons. If you cut a Christian off from God, he withers. There was a TV documentary about deep sea divers one time, and they recovered some gold from a sunken ship in the North Atlantic. And they talked about how they let this diving bell down with some people in it, 800 feet underwater. And the only link between the people 800 feet below the water was this air hose. And the hose was the lifeline. It was the support system, the connection between those above and those below. If somebody cut that off, those people are, are dead. Well, likewise, prayer is our support system. You cut it off, you run out of spiritual air. Prayers is an act of dedication that shows our dependence until we realize we need God, we can't pray. Prayer is your air hose. Secondly, Prayer is an act of communication. We communicate with God through prayer. Right? We understand that. It's talking to God. That's what we've always defined prayer as. It's talking to God and it's listening to God. You know, most of our problems in life, you think about it, most of our problems in life are communication problems. The conflicts we run into, the issues that we have, most of them are communication problems. Somehow communication breaks down. Communication with your wife or your husband, with your kids, with your business partner, with your employee, your employer, with uh, your neighbor, uh, communication among nations, communicate communication uh, in politics. Communi most of your problems in life come from poor communication. You can't understand a person in marriage unless you communicate with them. And you can't understand God, God's will for your life, unless you communicate with him. There was a number of years ago, there was an international incident called the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some of you lived through that and you remember it from the newspaper. Some of you read about it in a history book. 
It was a standoff between President Kennedy and Premier Khrushchev of Russia over the issue of putting missiles in Cuba. Little, little close for comfort. Well, we nearly went to war over it, but we didn't because communication was established between the two world leaders. There was one positive benefit that came out of this Cuban Missile Crisis. They established right afterwards a communications link called a hotline. Okay, they put a red telephone on the desk of the President of the United States and a red telephone on the desk of the Premier of Soviet Russia. And there was only one number. This was back in the Cold War days. One number. You couldn't pick it up and order a pizza. Okay, it's just one number. And it was, it was so that there would be no misunderstanding. If at any time somebody thought somebody else was going to do something wrong, they could simply lift up the phone and communicate. Communication is vital on the international scene. It's vital in the Christian life because of the kind of relationship that we have with God. And what is that? What kind of relationship do we have with God? Well, look at John 15, 15. It says, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit that will last, and the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. You're my friends. And as we become a disciple of Jesus, because that's what we're up to, we're becoming disciples of Christ, growing in him, we are his friends. He calls us friends by extension. We're friends of God. We're friends of Christ. We're friends of God through Christ. Okay, he says the reason you can ask anything in prayer is because we're friends. I find that amazing. I really do. I find that amazing. Friend of God. We used to sing a song, I am a friend of God. God says, I don't treat you like servants, like slaves. I treat you like friends. And if we seldom pray, maybe it's because we just don't really recognize what is a privilege it is. To have God as your friend. You don't see him as your friend. And so talking to him, if I told you tomorrow that with all my wonderful connections that I have, I don't, but somehow I had arranged a 20-minute personal interview with the President of the United States. I don't care who he is, but you get to talk to him about anything of your heart's desire, what would you do? Well, you got, this, you got the president's ear for 20 minutes. You probably wouldn't want to waste it. You might not go to bed tonight. You, maybe you'd be nervous. Uh, you'd probably go out, maybe get a new wardrobe or maybe get a hairdo or a haircut. Uh, you'd probably maybe write some things down that you'd want to ask or challenge him on or, or request so that you didn't waste the time. And you get prepared because you were going to talk personally with the President of the United States. Well, we've got a greater invitation than that. In this very passage that we just read from Jesus, you are invited to converse with the Creator. That's going to the top. You're not working with some little bureaucrat. You don't have to know the key men if you know the man who holds the keys. God says, I'm the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and you are my friend. And I want to talk to you. That's what prayer is. 
It's dedication, but it's also communication. And our problem is that we have a hard time believing that God's really interested in us. We can't seem to conceive that the creator of the universe is interested in my car payment, my mortgage, my clothing for the kids, for school, the guy at work who irritates me, and the, the fact that I have have back problems and everything else. When you, find, when you fully discover how much God really loves you, prayer will no longer be a problem for you. The problem is not, oh, I got to pray. The problem is you don't really realize how much God cares about and loves you. We love to talk to the people who love us the most. Ask any grandma, right? Loves to talk to those grandkids. Loves it when they go, grandma, and runs up to them. If you find prayer as a duty, a ritual, or a routine that you don't look forward to going through, it means, I'm thinking it means you don't understand how much God's in love with you and how much he's interested in everything that is of interest to you. Okay? God says we're friends. So prayer is an act of communication. It's the way we communicate with God. It's our life communication, the umbilical cord, the air hose of the Christian life from which we draw our strength. It's an act of dedication. It's the way we express our dependence upon God. But thirdly, prayer is an act of supplication. Supplication. Supplication is a nice big churchy word. It just means uh, request. It means asking for something. It means, uh, it means saying please about something. Please, will you? That's a supplication. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, it says, don't worry about anything, but in everything with your prayers and your supplications, your requests. Make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which, trans which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result of your asking, your requests and prayer will be peace of mind. Okay? John 16, 24, Jesus says, Until now you've not asked me for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. He gives you complete joy. He says you're going to be happy because you're going to ask and I'm going to answer and you'll be happy. The fact of the matter is, God's chosen method of meeting your needs is prayer. The Bible teaches that there are some things that God has promised to do only if we pray. Some people think, well, God knows what I need. So I don't need to ask. He'll just give it when I need it. Well, that isn't necessarily so. He invites you to prayer. He wants you to pray. He set it up in his plan that there are some things he'll only do if you ask. Then we read the, when we read the New Testament, we read about the New Testament Christians. They were unbelievable. They were happy. They were joyful. They had a contagious faith. I mean, it was like they were so in love with God and so amazed at him that everybody else was seeing it. They, had, they were enthusiastic about God, about life. They had power in their lives. They saw miracles happening on a regular basis. It's like, wow, disciples, you just had another miracle uh, yesterday. What do you call that? And they said, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. It's like one miracle after another, uh, business as usual. We say, how come I don't have that kind of power? Why don't we have that same kind of power they, they had in the New Testament? James says this, you don't have because you don't ask. You have not because you ask not. 
Over 20 times in the New Testament, the Bible says, ask, seek, knock, keep on asking. C.H. Spurgeon, the 19th century pastor in London, England, once said this, God never shuts his storehouses unless you shut your mouth. You have to ask. Prayer is an act of supplication. So Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's another huge promise. He will give you the desires of the heart. But there's a contingency, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. That's like being connected to the vine, fully dependent on him. What do you delight in? Jesus. <laughs> he is my number one delight. He is my number one delight. And if you're delighting yourself in God and you're, and you're allowing God's spirit to live in you, your desires are not going to be wrong. You're not going to have a wrong desire. You're not gonna, if you are truly delighting yourself in Jesus and he is like you're all in all and you're in love with him, how could anything you desire under that umbrella be against God? I mean, he would correct it like right now and you would just like, oh yeah, thanks Jesus, I love you so much. <laughs> God is intensely interested in every factor of your life. He says, you are my friends, I'm interested. And when you love someone, you're interested in everything about them. Uh, why does God want us to ask in prayer? Well, Jesus said it right here. He said that your joy may be complete. When you ask when you ask, everybody gets blessed. Think about that. God gets blessed because it shows his nature as a giver. You get blessed because you get the answer to your request. The world gets blessed because now you've got a testimony. One thing about people who have answered prayers in their life is that they just can't keep it to themselves. They have to share it. And they should. They start sharing with everybody. And that's what God wants. In Luke 11, 11, Jesus is talking. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish to eat, would you give him a snake instead? The mean ones. Okay, we're not talking about them. <laughs> the, the, the normal ones would give him a fish, right? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, by comparison, <laughs> you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If I, being an imperfect dad, know how to give good gifts to my kids and, and know how to answer the requests of my children, how much more does God, who is perfect and perfect in love, know how to give us good gifts? God delights in answering requests. So prayer is an act of dedication, communication, supplication. Finally, my favorite one, prayer is an act of cooperation. We get to partner with God. And this is the most exciting thing about prayer. It's an act of cooperation. God has sovereignly chosen in his plan that we can cooperate in his plan by praying and helping see his word done here on earth. Prayer is God's program. Prayer is God's way, his modus operandi. When, when we pray for other people, we are cooperating with God. We're teaming up with God to accomplish God's work in the world. One of my favorite books is by Wesley Duell. It's called Touch the World Through Prayer. 
touch the world through prayer. And he basically makes his whole point in a book this thick saying, you are partnering with God, you're cooperating with him to accomplish his purposes in the world. And probably one of the most amazing verses in the Bible is John 14, 12 through 13, where Jesus is talking, he's given his last big teaching to the, to the disciples. And just before verse 12 is verse 11, Jesus says, believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Saying, disciples, believe this. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. Okay, there's this, mm, there's this connection. We're in each other. And he says, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. I've given you signs. Then he gets to verse 12 and he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Now that is an amazing verse to me. That blows me away. I'm going to be doing what Jesus was doing? Do you see what Jesus was doing? I was a swimmer in high school. And I became a Christian through a guy on the swim team. And I never could walk on water. I still had to swim through it like everybody else. I could have won so many meets. I'm just telling you, I could have been the, the number one sprinter because I can run a lot faster than I can swim. I can walk faster than I can swim and everybody else. And yet Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. I think that's kind of a hard verse. He says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing and he will do even greater things. He, he, he ramps it up. He ups the ante. He says he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I've got to admit to you, as your pastor, if there's any verse in the Bible that I'm having a hard time believing, it's that verse. I don't see myself doing greater things than Jesus. Do you see yourself doing greater miracles than Jesus? I doubt it. It's kind of hard to believe. But he says it. He just says it. Anyone who believes in me will do what I've been doing, even greater works. I honestly had a hard time accepting that verse until one day I got smart and I read the verse right underneath it and all of a sudden it starts to make sense. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may bring glory to the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. How is it possible to do greater miracles than Jesus? Simple, through prayer. He does them. <laughs> it's still Jesus doing it. He does them. How many miracles are listed in the Bible? Does anybody happen to know this? I forgot to look it up. What? Uh, no, miracles. How many miracles are listed that Jesus did in the Bible? Does anybody happen to know this? Over 400 promises? 2,400. 2, There's one in there for you to claim. I'm telling you, <laughs> there's one with your name on it, okay? Go find that. But how many miracles? Maybe 20, 30? 25? 27? Yeah. Thanks, Michael. You know how many cards are hanging on the string? 106. That will be 106 miracles. What is Jesus saying? You guys collectively will do greater things than I was able to do. I was able to do, you know, a few dozen miracles, okay? 
you're going to do thousands and thousands and thousands. But actually, it's going to be him doing them. We're praying for him. And we get to see them happen. This, I, we, I am at the peak right now of my ministry. This is, I feel like it is. I feel like this is the peak of my ministry right now. And maybe we haven't peaked. I hope we haven't peaked. But I'm, I'm at a higher level. And, and this is why. This is why I'm saying this. Is because I have such a feeling of being on the front row seat of what God is doing in so many people's lives. I'm seeing people come to Jesus. Not necessarily because I led them. They're just coming to Jesus. You know, I'm seeing people have miracles happen in their life, answers to prayer. I've seen so many healings. Pam's here. Liz is here. Woke up. I mean, some of you were around when she was in the coma and we prayed her out of it. Remember that? Oh, that was God again. You're here, okay? I've seen so many miracles. I've seen uh, people getting free of drugs and alcohol and, and being set free from the hurts, habits, and hang-ups. They're, fe- they're finding healing. It's blowing me away. I love this place in my ministry right now just to be able to thank you, Jesus. I get to see all this stuff happening. How did I get on this? Oh, <laughs> thousands of miracles, greater things, he says. Um. Prayer is not limited by time nor space. It is limitless in scope. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, he voluntarily put himself in one body, became a human, and God coming in human form, he said, I can only be at one place at one time, and I can't be in the past, uh, present, and future at the same time. I can only be at this time and in this place. He was limited to do miracles within the vicinity where he was. And sometimes not even then. He went to Nazareth the one time and they didn't have much faith. Not many miracles could be done. He goes to uh, a, a town in Samaria and all kinds of miracles going on, right? Demons are being cast out, 5,000 people getting fed, all right? But it was all limited to his geography where he was. But prayer is not limited by time or space. Prayers are not limited by time. The prayers of Jesus 2,000 years ago are still being answered today. The prayers I pray today can be answered three weeks from today or three years or three decades. They're not limited by time. Prayer's not limited by space. You can pray and it's like sending a missile. This is a Wesley Duell, Touch the World Through Prayer. He talks about you can literally have a presence in Africa or Asia or China from your living room. You can touch the whole world through prayer. It's like sending a missile. I could pray for somebody on the other side of the world and that missile goes directly into some guy's heart and I never leave South Dakota. I can pray all over. I can get up tomorrow morning and I can sit in my chair and I can spend 15 minutes in prayer and pray for missionaries around the world and my wife can ask, what are you doing in there? And I say, nothing much. I'm just going to Africa, Asia, Iran. By the way, a lot of people have been praying for the, uh, what do they call that? The 2040 window, 1040 window. You know, the parallel um, markers on the globe. And there's that window where the gospel is like banned, legally banned. You can't take Bibles in and they're not supposed to convert off of Islam or whatever, Buddhism or, or Hinduism. You're not allowed to convert 
uh, people or proselytize. And you're and if you're a Hindu or or like a Muslim, you're not allowed to convert. You know, and your family will kill you. Maybe uh, there's just this window where it's really tough. And people have been praying that for this for decades for this window. It used to be that the fastest, the place that the church was growing the fastest, where people were becoming Christians at the fastest rate in the world, was actually China. Red China. Hard, hard place. It's not in that window. You know where the fastest growing place is now, where the church is growing the fastest? You won't believe it. The leading state sponsor of terrorism is Iran. And the fastest growing place for the church is Iran. The church is growing like by thousands in Iran. Even Israel, I was listening to a, a Hebrew woman's testimony this morning because uh, I like to listen to other people's sermons <laughs> in the morning, you know, before I go to church. Uh, uh, and, and I was listening to this lady's testimony. She was a what we call a Messianic Jew. She was a Jew. She was raised in Brooklyn, went to Hebrew school, had to uh, learn all of the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament, and, uh, and did, all, you know, uh, bat mitzvah and the whole bit. You know, she did, she was a Jew. And then, uh, and then she was kind of got off the track and started doing drugs and got herself really sick and was in the hospital. And this, this friend of her mom's, uh, came and visited her in the hospital and she was a Christian and she was sharing with her out of the Hebrew Bible that she studied herself all these prophecies about the coming Messiah. And she would share these prophecies about, about the coming Messiah and say, you know, they, they refer to Jesus. You know, here's how Jesus fulfilled these. And, and the lady would get, would get really angry and say, get out, leave. I'm sick of it. And so she would, then she'd come back the next day and she'd say, okay, I'll listen to some more. And so she would tell her some more and then she'd go, I had enough, go. And the lady would say, okay, okay, you know, just, we'll just go. And then she came back one day and, and she shared with her Isaiah 53. And, and, and it's a very, very descriptive prophecy about Jesus who would come some four or 500 years later and he fulfilled them almost to the T, well, to the T, in, in, the, in the Gospels, written hundreds of years later. And, uh, and, and, and the patient, the lady, the girl says, you slipped the New Testament in here. You're reading the New Testament to me. And the, and the lady goes, no, let's look in your Bible. Here it is. And right then she, she understood that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And she became a Christian. And she became part of the group called Jews for Jesus. Messianic Jews, people who accept Jesus as their Messiah. And she started going to Israel and, uh, and, and lived in Israel uh, and spoke the language and did ministry in Tel Aviv. And she said in the, in the 90s, and this was a recent testimony, she just gave it a few weeks ago. She said in the late 90s when I was there, um, you had to be so careful as soon as you started talking about Jesus, people would be like, oh, I don't want to hear it. No, 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 I don't want to hear it. They'd be like that. She said, today, it's so different. You tell people, well, I'm a Messianic Jew, and this is the response she normally gets. 
I've always wanted to talk to one of you. I've got so many questions. That is prayer. We've been praying for decades for Jews, I mean, it's actually centuries, <laughs> to come to Christ to accept Jesus as their Messiah. We've been praying for, for decades for the 1040 window. And I ran. That is the ripple effect of prayer. Prayer is not limited by time. It's not limited by space. Prayers are penetrating these places. Uh, she said that every week they get requests for the book Isaiah 53 explained. 80 to 200 requests every single week from Hebrew Jews in Israel. And I tell you what, that is the only hope for peace in the Middle East is for Muslims and Jews to come to Christ and we find unity in Christ. That's the only way it's really going to happen. That's going to be the common ground. It's going to be mass conversions. Otherwise, it's just going to be war. I mean, one group wants to destroy the other. Well, prayer, you know, people might reject your appeals, like the girl saying, get out of the room. They might reject your arguments. They, they can reject you as a person. Say, I don't want to have anything to do with you, Jesus freak. Get away. But they're de totally defenseless against your prayers. And you know what? I've never had anybody turn down prayer. I never have. I, uh, when, when, I, when I've asked specifically, nobody's ever said, no, it's not okay for you to pray for me. I've never had that. Everybody prays and they believe in prayer to some extent. Even, uh, even atheists might just look at it as, well, I don't think you're praying to anybody, but thanks for the good thoughts, you know, and they're appreciative of that. But I remember when I worked at state school, I worked at a school of mines, and, uh, um, and I, would take a, uh, I would take my lunch hour and I'd go on a walk. And I called it a prayer walk. I'd pray up and down downtown, and I would just pray. I pray for the school. I pray for my coworkers. I pray for anything in my church and anything going on in your life. Pray for my family. And uh, one time, I started deciding I'm going to go around and I'm going to ask people for prayer requests. So I would ask my assistant, you know, getting prayer requests. I'm going to go on my state-sponsored prayer walk because I got a paid lunch, <laughs> and I called it my state-sponsored prayer walk. And uh, and then I would go to the, uh, it, was, uh, it was student affairs, and so I would go to the uh, dean of students, you got any prayer requests? I go to the uh, director of counseling, you got any prayer requests? I go to the uh, director of uh, student life, you know, the one who, who sets up all the games and freshman initiation and all that kind of stuff. I go to him, you got any prayer requests? And, and, and uh, sometimes they would have them, so I'm like, well, everything's going pretty good right now. Um, and one time, the, the uh, director of student affairs, or not student affairs, uh, student life, he uh, said to me, uh, what is a prayer walk? And he was Catholic. And so he was thinking of like the stations of the cross, you know, it's like, do you, where, where do you do this? And it's like, oh, that's just me walking up and down the street praying. I pray while I walk. It's literally a prayer walk. That's what it is. <laughs> and he goes, oh, okay, okay. It's like, huh, that's really cool. He decided to start going to church again. Eventually, he uh, actually decided to become a Protestant. His family goes to Fountain Springs. 
They've adopted like seven kids, raising them in Jesus. I don't think I had much to do with that, but I don't think I hurt the cause any by asking them to, you know, you got any prayer requests? Prayers penetrate. You are partnering with God. What did I call it? Cooperation. This is cooperating with God to, to do stuff in people's life when you pray. Many times I, I have people come to me for counseling. They're kind of discouraged and with, they got this impossible situation. I'm so discouraged. I don't know what to do. I guess the only thing I could do is pray. And I want to say, oh, good, we're finally making progress. Because <laughs> you've got a resource that most of the world uh, doesn't have. Praying to Jesus in his name. If, if you can pray, you can make the impossible possible. And all of a sudden, you're not trying to work it out on your own. You've got God's power behind you. Six times in these four chapters, John 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says, if you will ask, I will answer. If you will ask, I will do. He says, your part is the asking, my part is the doing. That's awesome because he's a lot better positioned than you or I are to, or am to do these things. He has a few more strings. He can pull a few more resources at his command. And he says, if you pray, I will do. Our part in cooperating with God's plan in the world is prayer. We can pray. The most important thing you can do in your Christian life is pray. Pray to Jesus. Pray in his name. You know who the heroes are going to be in, in heaven? Who are the heroes going to be in heaven? The Billy Grahams of the world? David Wilkerson's, Mother Teresa's, the, the, the big name leaders? I don't necessarily think so. The heroes in heaven are going to be these unknown people who prayed. These little grandmas who prayed for revival in their city, in their church. These, these men who just humbly just prayed. The ones who prayed for the Billy Grahams and the David Wilkerson's. I want our church to be a praying church. Absolutely. Because a praying church is a powerful church. A praying church is a holy church. A committed church. When you pray, it makes you sensitive to God. It heightens your spiritual antenna. And it makes you sensitive to God and other people. It sensitizes your life. A praying church is an enthusiastic church. We're excited. Churches that pray see miracles and they, that gets people excited. You know what my prayer has been? And I've shared this with you before. Um, but maybe you forgot or maybe you weren't here that day. Uh, but my prayer has been for years now, ever since we built this sanctuary, I have been praying ever since before we moved into it, I have been praying, God, fill this room with joyful worshipers and earnest seekers. And I tell you, that's one reason why I feel like I'm at the peak of ministry right now is because that prayer is getting answered. This room is filled with joyful worshipers and earnest seekers every week, every week. Celebrate Recovery is a joyful place. Sunday mornings is a worshipful place. And there are people coming that are earnestly seeking God. They don't know him yet. They've not experienced his power in their life, but they're finding him. You know that ever since we started our year of outreach, we've had about three dozen people turn in the card. 
and say, I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior for the first time. I want to know more. About three dozen people have, re have been responding to Christ. A praying church is a happy church. When you pray and you get answers, your joy is complete, Jesus said. There's nothing more fun than seeing answers to prayer. You get excited. It's contagious. People want to be there. What are you lacking in your prayer life now? Simply because maybe you've just asked for, you failed to ask God for it. Ask, he says. Ask, and I will do. Let's stand and let's pray now. Oh, Father God, what an amazing thing that you have done in setting up this whole thing about prayer. That we can, like Hebrews says, we can enter into the throne room of God, the throne of grace. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, not, not slithering on the floor. Oh, I hope lightning doesn't strike me. I hope the roof doesn't cave in. But with confidence and boldness, you call us friends. We can come up to you like a friend. Very, very powerful friend, <laughs> but a friend. And we can say, I delight myself in you. I'm dependent upon you. Here is the desire of my heart, Jesus. And you answer. You make some pretty bold, audacious promises that there, Jesus. And I get a feeling you're just waiting for us to start taking you up on it. To get serious about it. To pray specifically and fervently and persistently and believingly. Oh God, teach us to make prayer to you, connecting with you, communicating, depending, partnering, cooperating. Number one priority in our life. Before all else, pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.